Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 15. Jesus warns the crowd and his disciples not to follow the false leadership of the Pharisees as observed in their behavior and declares that anguish will come upon the Pharisees as a consequence of their hypocrisy. A reading from Matthew chapter 23, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flat trees broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. As most of you know, I have a two-year-old son named Samuel. And Samuel, like most two-year-old boys, he has absolutely zero fear. In fact, if there's an activity that could most likely lead to loss of life and limb... He's all for it. Just the other day, I experienced some of his brash behavior when I was with uh, my wife and my parents with him at the Stanford Museum and Nature Center. We were there looking at some of the animals, and I took my eyes off Samuel for approximately six seconds. That's all it took was six seconds. And when I looked up, I had seen that he started climbing a tall wooden fence. And so like any good father, I ran over to make sure that he didn't fall on his head. And uh, while I was holding him on the fence, my mom snapped this picture of me. Max, you can put up that picture. There you can see Samuel and I on the left. We're having a good old time at the Stanford Museum and Nature Center. And notice where he happened to climb the fence. Right next to this sign that says, never climb on or lean over fences. So there we are, both breaking multiple rules together, father and son. 
Now, I mentioned this story, and I find this picture hilarious. You can take the picture down now, Max. Because it's somewhat indicative of my own life. Like Samuel, there have been many times in life where I head immediately toward danger. And I'm not talking about good danger. I'm talking about things that are dangerous for my soul. And like that sign on the fence post, God, he's given me warnings through his people and through his word. And yet if I'm honest with you like a toddler, more often than not, I've ignored those warnings to my own detriment. And there's a reason I mentioned warning signs this morning, because that's actually exactly what our text is. It's one giant warning sign from the Son of God, Jesus himself. And what I find really interesting about this warning sign is it's not for those sinners out there, but rather it's for us religious people in here. Jesus is warning us about some things that are very dangerous in our own spiritual lives. And although Jesus' words are harsh, you just heard them. He said that the proselytes of the scribes and Pharisees were sons of hell. Pretty harsh words, right? Although these are harsh words, I believe like that sign on that fence, they're actually meant for our own protection and our own good. And so as we, as we look at this warning this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to break Jesus' warning down into three categories. And the first thing is what he's warning about. The second's why he's warning about it. And then the third is who specifically he's actually giving the warning to. So let's dive in first with the what of this warning. Starting in verse two, Jesus says this. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. So Jesus says first, listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. And he says they sit on the seat of Moses. What he's referencing here is most likely in the majority of synagogues in the first century, there was a large stone seat that was referred to as the seat of Moses or the seat of teaching authority. And what Jesus is saying here is that we should listen to these religious leaders because they sit in this seat of teaching authority. In other words, they know about God's word. But he goes on to say, but don't do the works they do for they don't, for they preach, but they do not practice. Now, if Jesus were to say this to us today, he would probably say something like this. Listen to the pastors that stand in the pulpit, on the stage, behind the very large Bible, for they're the rightful authorities. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. And right here, when I got to this point in the sermon as I was preparing this week, I'm not going to lie, my mind immediately went to all those bad pastors out there. <laughs> those bad pastors on TV that just do it for the money, that just do it to take advantage of people. And as my mind went there, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, no, David, what about you? And so this past week, I've been asking the Lord, Lord, where do I 
preach, but not practice. Where do I do this, God? And he's lovingly revealed a few things to me. First, one is that I lack patience in a major way. This especially comes out while I'm driving. This is why you'll never see a Jesus fish on the back of my car, by the way. (laughs) But he's revealed other things to me in love as well. And this is the danger here. Whenever we approach a passage like this where we talk about hypocrisy, is most often when we read these passages, we think about all those people out there that need to hear it. And so if you're sitting in the room right now and, and you're thinking about your friend that needs to hear about this sermon and hear about preaching and practicing, I just want to invite you to join me in prayer. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to do for you what he did for me. So let's go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask for you to reveal to us where we have preached but not practiced. Amen. So what's the problem with preaching and not practicing? Why does Jesus have such a big issue with it? Well, he goes on to say why in verse four, he says this, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So what does he mean by this? Well, imagine someone walking into the synagogue in Jesus' day and they sit down to listen to one of these Pharisees or scribes that's sitting in the seat of Moses. And this Pharisee or scribe explains the law. They say, you need to do X, Y, and Z to be made right with God. Now, they themselves are not necessarily doing it, but they're telling others to do it. And this is what he means here. This is what happens when people walk into this church and I tell you to do things that I don't do. It's as if I'm tying a heavy burden on your neck and I'm not even using a finger to lift them. Which by the way, church, I never want to do as your pastor, ever. And so what is this idea of tying heavy burdens? How can you summarize it? It's really what we call in Christian faith, legalism. You see, legalism, it's this strict dry living that seeks to earn God's grace and love. And when our relationship with God is based on legalism, it leads to these heavy burdens being tied around our necks. And one of the biggest issues with legalism is this, that it's really all about us and our own performance. You see, it's all about how we can make God love us. When I first came to Jesus, this actually worked itself out in a strange way in my spiritual life. When I first came to know Jesus, I recognized something, that I was loved by God, not because of anything I did. And out of that love, I wanted to change my life. I wanted to be good. I recognized I was loved and therefore I wanted to be good. I was loved, therefore I wanted to be good. And then I started going to some Bible studies and some Sunday morning services 
And then I went to seminary, which was a really bad idea. And I started to believe the opposite, that I was good and therefore I was loved. You see, that small shift in order totally changed my spiritual life. And because I started to believe I was good and therefore loved, I found myself trying to earn God's grace. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. And he says that because of this, if we seek to earn God's grace, not only does it lead to a heavy burden, but it also leads to us performing in front of other people. We don't just perform in front of God, but everybody else. And this is what he goes on to say in verse five. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. You see, because legalism is all about us earning God's love and earning his grace, because it's all about our performance, it ends up becoming all about image management. And that's what these men were doing in the first century. For example, Jesus, he references this phylactery. Max, you can put the image of the phylactery up. The phylactery uh, is rooted in what we learn in Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, that says that we should bind the commandments that God's given us on our foreheads. Right? In this phylactery, it's really a prayer tool. And it's to remind men, Jewish men, to stay focused on God. And notice what Jesus says here. The problem is not the phylactery. The problem is that they make their phylacteries broader than everyone else's, right? So their box is just a little bit bigger so that they can look a little bit holier. It'd be like walking into a Bible study and carrying this Bible we have on the altar here. <laughs> Everybody see my Bible. Jesus goes on to say the same thing about the fringes of their garments as well. Max, you can show us those fringes. Uh, these fringes were traditionally tied to the edges of Jewish male's garment, and they were really a prayer reminder. They were a reminder for men each morning when they woke up to pray, which is a good thing. And we know that Jesus wore these fringes. It actually tells us about that in Matthew chapter 10, when the woman who has the issue of dealing with bleeding, she reaches out and she touches his fringes. So Jesus wore these. So they're not wrong in and of themselves. But look what he says. He says that they make them a little longer so that they can look just a little more righteous than everyone else. You see, this is what makes legalism exhausting, is that it's essentially a competitive game. You see, it's not good enough to look holy. I need to look holier than everyone else. It's not good enough to pray great prayers I need to pray better prayers than everyone else. It's not good enough to know about the scriptures. I need to know the scripture better than everyone else. You see, it's this comparison game that we end up playing, and it becomes this heavy burden that's incredibly tiresome. And it's not God's desire for our souls. So maybe you feel like you're carrying that burden this morning, I just want you to hear the words of Jesus. This is what he says. 
And it's so counter. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, friends, our faith's not about us taking on the burden. Rather, it's about Jesus taking on our burdens. That's what he did. You see, the truth of the gospel is that you are loved, not because you are good, but rather you're loved because he is good, because Jesus is good. And that changes everything. That leads us to freedom. So this is Jesus' warning. This is what he's warning about, is this image-based faith. So why is he warning about it is the next question. Why is he doing this? This is actually Jesus' last public sermon. And he chooses his last public sermon to warn us about this thing. So why does he do that? Well, we get a picture into why in verse 13, where he says this. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. This is the first of the seven woes or seven warnings Jesus gives to the scribes and the Pharisees. And this gives us a picture into why legalism is so dangerous. And the why is this. When we teach legalism, when we teach image-based faith, we're actually not leading people to Jesus. We're leading them to something else. We're not actually leading them to his kingdom. And if you think about it, when we teach image-based faith and legalism, it not only prevents those outside the church from coming to Jesus, but it also prevents those inside the church from coming to Jesus. For example, if I was here this morning and I was to preach a legalistic sermon, I was to say something like, hey church, you all ain't doing a great job. You got to get your lives back together for God to love you. What does that do? It doesn't bring you to Jesus. It brings you to yourself, to working harder and trying more. And the same is true outside the church. When we go to those on the streets and we say, hey, you need to get your lives together before you can come to the church. We're actually preventing those people out on the streets from coming into the kingdom. We're saying you need Jesus and these other things, which is not true because Jesus is the only way to the Father. And like we learned last week in the parable of the wedding feast, when we add things to the gospel, when we add these barriers, we're doing the opposite of what God's desire is. You see, because God, he sends his invitation to all people. It's his desire, in fact, that all would enter into his kingdom. And we don't want to find ourselves in opposition to God. I think 2 Peter 3, 9 is a great summary of God's attitude toward both outsiders and insiders. It says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, it's God's desire that all people would turn that they would repent and turn to him. And he sends this invitation to both us inside and outside the church. 
And I think this is a great reminder for us as we head into Stanford to launch our new campus. Because friends, we're about to send the invitation far and wide to a lot of people that might not look or act like we do. But we're not winning them to a behavior modification model. We're not telling them they need to change their clothes before coming to church. No, we're winning them to the gospel message, which is not really about them. It's actually about Jesus and what he has done for them. You see, the message of the gospel, it's extremely simple. And it's simply that God loves you and that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sin so that you could be forgiven and restored to the Father. You see, very little of that message actually has to do with us. It's more of him doing all the work. This is why the gospel is good news and not bad news. Because we're not winning people to a burden. We're winning people to freedom, to lightness, to joy. You see, when we're one to Jesus, what we realize is it's not really about us. It's about him and his faithfulness. And this is a great reminder for us and a great reminder for me, your pastor. This is one of the passages that actually keeps me awake at night where Jesus is warning teachers. There's another passage that's actually a little bit worse than this one. I actually think about it almost every night before I go to bed. And that's James chapter three, verse one. And it says, not all of you should be teachers because they'll be judged more harshly. And I know I'll be judged more harshly than most of you. And I should be. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm really glad I'm not a pastor. (laughs) Praise God. You should be glad, by the way. (laughs) But that's where the who of this message comes into play. Because Jesus, he's actually not talking to the scribes and Pharisees here. It's very interesting. The heading in the scripture here is wrong. It's added in later, by the way. He's not talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's actually talking to his disciples and to the crowd. Did you notice that in verse one? It says, then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples. You see, Jesus, he's not addressing the religious leaders. He's using them as an illustration of what not to do for his own disciples. And I think this reveals to us who is most at risk for this legalistic image-based faith. And it's us. We are. Us church people. We're the most at risk to start to believe that what we do will actually earn God's grace. And we're the most at risk to teach this to others. So I think this deems a question then. We've been warned by Jesus So how can we respond? How can we listen to him? Well, the solution, it's somewhat counterintuitive, and I think we find it in verses 11 and 12. So let's read those together. Jesus says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. This sounds like more homework, that I should humble myself. Well, the surprise is, this verse, it's not really about you. 
It's about Jesus and what he did. You see, because God in his sovereignty knew that no matter how hard we try, we are incapable of fully humbling ourselves. We can't do it. And in light of this, instead of humbling us, he humbled himself. Paul puts it this way, that God was in, or that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. You see, Jesus, he's the solution to our image-based legalistic tendencies. He's the solution to everything, to be honest. And so if you have yet to give your life over to him this morning, I encourage you. There's never a better day. There's never a better time than now. And maybe you've known him for a long time but you've fallen into this legalistic trap. I want to encourage you to reorient your gaze to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the solution to our sin and our self-righteousness. And so Lord Jesus, for those of us that have known you for some time, but I've shifted our focus off of you onto ourselves. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lovingly redirect our gaze to our first love. And Jesus, for those of us that have yet to surrender our lives to you, God, I pray today would be the day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.